You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. answer to that question, where do we go wrong in my own life? As I look at it, I think the first place I went wrong was deciding to be a fan of the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Jim. Good morning. I'm uh, Jason Lyon. I'm one of the pastors here. Joy to be with you as we take a trek on the journey with the questions of faith here at Schweitzer. Uh, it's really good to be in worship, and it's good to enter into this, this question and, and these, uh, this series of questions that we've been asking in this sermon series, Question of Faith, because they're really questions that, that touch into the deep places of our life, right? And so maybe when you, th- you see that question, where do we go wrong, maybe there's something that just rises up viscerally inside of you. Maybe the, um, as you start to think about some of those things, maybe some, there's some realities that, you know what? There are places in our life where we're wrong, and it's kind of like it's, it's just a self-evident reality. Or maybe you look at your life and you think, right now, in the present moment, it's, it's pretty good. I don't know that anything's really wrong. But life just has a way. It has a way, whether you're, you're a fan of some sort of sports team or, or just life happens in some other direction, to bring us back to the reality that everything isn't right, everything doesn't fit right, everything doesn't doesn't go well, and things are amiss at some point along the way. And so we have to begin to ask ourselves the question and, and really wonder, what is it that's amiss? Now, for some of us, it's just, uh, especially like the Detroit Lions, you know, they always seem to be able to, to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. They always seem to find that, and so it'll always be a mysterious wonder what that, what that reason is. But the scriptures, the scriptures take us back and the scriptures tell us in the bigger questions of life, out of sports, that there's an answer to the question, why do we find ourselves in the places that we do? Last week in the sermon about the, the scriptures, Pastor Bob talked about how the, the scriptures paint an overarching story, that there's good news, bad news, and, and good news. And the bad news that the scripture reminds us of is that we are seriously flawed by sin and we're helpless to save ourselves. That's a reality that we don't always like to look at. We don't always like to see before us. We don't always like to encounter. But there's something about the nature of sin that strikes at the root of every one of us. And so this morning we're going to go through a story The story of original sin, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. If you've got your Bibles um, with you, if you'd like to open up to Genesis 3, we're going to walk through that story together this morning, or we'll see it on the screen and we'll read it together. Or I guess I'll read it, 
because it's rather long. It would, it would take a lot to read together. <clears throat> Let's begin. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. In the opening of Genesis 3, it tells us about one of God's creations, a creature, the serpent, who comes to Adam and Eve, what we might call our first parents, living in the Garden of Eden. And in the garden, they've been given the responsibility of, of watching over it, tending to the garden, seeing it. But the serpent comes along, and the serpent notices that there's a tree that they don't ever touch, they don't ever go to. And so the serpent begins this conversation. As we go through our own lives, I'm going to guess that there have been times, there have been times when you've probably recalled this story, things, times when things aren't going well, and you're like, why, Adam and Eve? Why did you ever go to that tree? You had everything else open to you. What compelled you to go to that tree, especially when we're in those moments of of dire straits, right? When life isn't going well, we're like, what would compel you after you had this entire garden? Have you ever been there? you ever been at that moment? There's three, three answers that have been given over a sense of history as to why Adam and Eve... When the serpent came to them, and the serpent said, hey, have you thought about this tree? And they decided to take the fruit of it, why they went there. The first answer that's been given is that it's a, it's a prideful thing or a self-centeredness notion that the serpent tapped into, that the serpent unlocked, if you will, within the heart of who Adam and Eve were. That <clears throat> as they looked at it, as they thought about it, Though they lived in the entire garden, they watched over it, they wondered, why is it that God would keep one thing away from them? And after all, they were doing everything else that God had asked of them. Maybe they deserved it. Maybe if they took that fruit, whatever the fruit was from that tree, that God would just overlook it. They were God's servants. They were doing everything God had asked Wouldn't it just pass? St. Augustine looked at this story, and he found this story playing out in his own life, especially as a young teenager. He, He recalled about how he and his friends, they would jump over a neighbor's fence, and they would steal the pears off the neighbor's pear tree. And Augustine would say, it wasn't because we didn't have pears of our own. 
But we just thought that, you know what? We were good, kind of, we were good chaps. We kind of deserved it. We could do that. We were strong. We were fit. We could do that kind of endeavor. Later on, he would say that was such a prideful thing to think that we could be in a place where we could just jump over somebody else's fence and take the pears. <clears throat> As you think about the events that are in the news, things that have been in the news the past six months or a year, whether it's coming out of a place like Michigan State and their athletic department, or if it comes out of a place like churches, <clears throat> like one up in Chicago, or a number of churches in Pennsylvania. I think what we find rising up and what is rising up in many of our own hearts is the reality that there are moments when we think that we're really good and we deserve some things. We put in some time. We put, we put in some all kinds of things on behalf of God. And that if we do some things in God's name, that God will overlook some things, other things. And so our pride wells up. A self-centeredness. And so we embark upon some things that God has said, there's a boundary and it's off limits. But we cross those boundaries. Adam and Eve, in the moment when they were standing there and the serpent was talking to them. And by the way, did you notice that Eve wasn't alone when the serpent came? The writer tells us that Adam was right next door. I mean, he was standing next to her, right? He was standing right there. Really let her down. In fact, what most of us need is not somebody who will walk alongside of us and be silent to us. But what most of us need is somebody to come alongside of us and ask us, are we as really good as we think we are? Are we really as good as we think we are? We need a pride meter. But that's not something that you can go to Walmart and buy. That's, that's something where you've got to have somebody in your life who loves you and cares about you and sees all the ways that God has made you and gifted you and God pours out his love upon you, but then sees ways in which you're starting to express yourself that touch those boundaries, that test the boundaries. And they come up alongside of you. Pastor Jim, why don't you come up here and you, you help me out right now. He, he was giving me grief earlier in the day that I always call him out when he's here in this moment. But he's just a good chap. But he, <laughs> I have no idea what you're up I don't know either. That's a good thing. The reality is, is that all of us need a brother or a sister who can speak into our lives, who walk alongside of us. Who, when we're down, they put their, their arm around their shoulders. You want to do that? Yeah. But then, you're not afraid to wheel us around, right? Yes. And look us in the eye and say, hey, what's going on here? What are you giving yourself to? What are you listening to? Where are you going? And Pastor Jim's a good guy like that. He'll do that. Thank you. Ab and Eve, they give way to the sense of pride or selfishness. Nobody speaks into their life. Adam doesn't speak into Eve's life in that moment. There's something else that pops up in the midst of, of that moment. Uh, St. Athanasius, who was one of the 
chief writers of the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is some, one of the creeds that we'll use here in worship from time to time. You can find it in your bulletin or in, in the hymnal. He talked about envy. He talked about, <clears throat> as he looked at this story, he looked at the reality that you know, maybe it was not self-centeredness or pride that welled up in their lives, but it was, it was envy. That Adam and Eve had been given the entirety of the garden. Beyond what they could think or imagine, they had been entrusted with everything. And yet there was this one thing that was off limits. This one thing that had a trespassing sign on it. This one place in life where they were not to go. And for some reason, envy welled up. Or what I, I think in our in our parlance today, we might call that the fear of missing out. You ever been afraid in your own life that you're missing out on something? When you <clears throat> look at, at your calendars, do you find that your calendars are packed full with stuff to do? That's my calendar. And then when I hear that something else is going on that I would really like to do, you know what rises up inside of me? A great deal of chagrin that I can't go and do it. A longing that I could do that as well as everything else that I'm doing. That fear of missing out is touching a lot of us. And we run and run. I like, I like that old song by Alabama. We run and run. We don't know why. We're trying to fill up our lives with as much stuff or activity things that we can think of, but then we have no margin, and we get tired, and we run out of, we run out of ourselves, we run on empty, and Adam and Eve do that. Finally, at the end of the story, they find themselves looking for figs to cover their margin, and figs just don't do that very well, do they? They were envious. They had the fear of missing out on something. And when we get to that place where, we fear, where we're fearful that we're going to miss something, it begins to push us to places that generally are not healthy places for us to be. One final thing that people across history have noted about this text is that it's deception. Deception is present. This conversation doesn't rise up simply out of Adam and Eve's conversation as they walk around in the garden. But there's a creature that arrives and begins the conversation, begins to talk to them. And this creature, though when we read the text, it's described as a serpent. This creature, throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture, will be described as, as the devil, as, as the person who is a creature made in made by God, but yet has set themselves against God. This creature that's an enemy to our own souls. And a creature who really seeks to do destruction to what God wants to do in this world and in our lives. <clears throat> and the main tool that Satan uses is the tool of deception to work his way of destruction. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't describe things as they really are really truthful. Have you ever been deceived in your world? you ever faced deception? When Anna and I were newly married, we were 
we were 20 years old. We had a little bit of work, but we, we barely had two nickels to scratch together to try and make fire. I don't know if you've ever been to that place, but it's like you can't find a couple of nickels. There's a lot of things that you just don't do, you don't have. So one day, we returned to the house we were living in, and on the, on the door, there was a note. It said, call for a free case of Pepsi. Well, I happen to be a Pepsi fan, and so I'm like, free case of Pepsi, let's call. And so we called, and it's like, it's a marketing deal. We'll come over, we'll show you something, we'll actually clean your carpets. It's a vacuum cleaner marketing deal. <clears throat> we are 20. We're a little wet behind the ears. We'd never been down this road before. And we'll bring you a free case of Pepsi. So we're like, okay, come over. So this, this marketer came over. And for three hours, <clears throat> three painful hours, tried to sell us a vacuum cleaner. I think somewhere around the neighborhood of a couple thousand dollars. <clears throat> we were suckers, but we weren't that big of suckers, not that day. After about three hours, I said, I thought you were going to bring a case of Pepsi. He said, I guess we did. That was the worst taste in Pepsi I think I've ever had in my life. <clears throat> we had been duped. We fell for it. Our passions, our interest, sense of need or just our sense of taste got in the way of our minds thinking well and straight and good. And so we were deceived. And deception is one of those things that for many of us it comes from the outside, but the truth of the matter is is Many of us play the game of deception, too. Because once we're on the receiving end, then we know how to play the game, right? And there are moments where we deceive other people. And those are sad. Those are wrong. But the biggest tragedy of all is when we take that tool of deception up and we use it on ourselves. And so we find ourselves in a quandary in a mix. See, in that <clears throat> story of Adam and Eve, the beginning story of Adam and Eve, the beginning moments, we all find ourselves there in some form or fashion, some place. Unfortunately, we'd all like to go back and just stop, stop the film in that moment, right? But the film keeps on playing. Let's read on in some of this text. The story of Genesis continues. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And when the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Notice that Adam was there all along, 
And then he comes back around and he says, no, it was the woman who did it. Then the Lord asked the woman, you done? The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I'll cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He'll strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life, you will struggle to scratch out a living from it, and it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Many of us have looked at this text, read this text, and sometimes we wonder, is God leading us? Is God proclaiming this out over over creation and over our sense of relationships? Many of us would say, no, God isn't, he's not describing, he's not scribing in stone the parts that we're going to play out, but he's simply coming to us. Comes to us in the cool of the night. And he begins to ask the question, where are you? But because Adam and Eve took those fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves, and then when God was present, they began to hide. It's like everything that took place in the middle of the day began to open a Pandora's box. They opened it themselves. So God begins to ask the question, where are you? They're in hiding. Why are you in hiding? We're afraid of you. Notice that before Adam ever blames Eve, he begins to blame God. And once that happens, there's a road that just kind of opens up that you can't unfold easily. You can't undo it easily. You continue to walk in that way. And so they walk, and God describes for them as as they're on this path of blaming one another, of blaming God, of of not seeing one another well, of deceiving one another, that the road in front of them is going to be difficult, really difficult. The effects of that moment were like, in some ways, they were like a computer virus. If you've ever owned a computer, I'm sure you've probably had a virus. You didn't know where it was coming from. You didn't know what it would do, but it just sort of spread throughout everything, and it touched everything. And God describes how that original sin begins to touch everything. Between our relationships with the animal world, how we treat the earth, and actually how we treat one another, how we don't value and see one another the way that we're intended to. So God describes that reality that unfolds that many of us, in fact, many of us, find ourselves squarely in. But God goes on, and the story goes on, because God isn't going to leave us in that place. He's not going to leave us 
in that spot where things have gone wrong. Have you ever played with Play-Doh? Every time I read this text, I think about if I were God in that moment, what would I do? And whenever I've played with Play-Doh and I'm trying to make something and it doesn't turn out right, I tend to squash it and start again. But God doesn't go to that point of squashing the creation. Now he says to Adam and Eve, look, watch where we go. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And then the Lord God looked at what they were wearing, the fig leaves. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And the Lord said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they'll live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The Lord God led Adam and Eve out of the garden. Some of us have looked at that text from time to time and we've thought, God's leading us away from where our hearts desire to be, back in the garden, back close to the tree of life. Actually, what God was doing was he was, he was leading us away from a place that would be harmful to us. Because in that place where Adam and Eve were at, they had changed their desires for being in relationship with God to being people who tasted the fruits of God without the presence of God himself. And the way in which Jesus describes himself, he says, I am the way of life. I'm the tree of life. I'm the river of life. If you really want to live, you can't just long for the gifts but you've got to long for the one who's the giver and the creator. And so in that moment, God, knowing that Adam and Eve needed to long for him, instead of simply longing for the garden, he led them out. But he didn't lead them out just into a wilderness to be by themselves. No, God kept coming alongside of them, walking alongside God took animals and he made skins for Adam and Eve. He covered up, he covered them in ways that they couldn't, they couldn't imagine. He began to care for them in ways that they didn't see. And in fact, there's a promise that God put within the text when he talks about one who will come from the woman and he'll squash the head of the serpent. God begins to say, Though there's a time when sin enters this world, there's a time when sin will be taken out and sin will be dealt with. There is, in fact, a time where we will not have to deal with the things that destroy us, the way of destruction. Because there will come one into this world who takes his heel and he will squash the head of the serpent. And evil that we from time to time think is with us all the time, will not be with us anymore. 
God says, I will deal with this. And the way in which we can all walk in that fashion is the way of God being truthful and open and real and honest about who we are and honest with God about how the ways really are in this world. This morning, we're going to um, go to the table of communion where we celebrate the reality that Jesus is the one who was promised, who comes into the world to be the second Adam, to be the one who deals with our problem of sin, a problem that affects us all and afflicts us all. And as we get ready to come to this table, we're going to use something called the general confession. It's a way in which each and every one of us confess up to the reality that what Adam and Eve encountered is something that we encounter as well. That all of us fall short of what God's called us to. All of us have a sense of self-centeredness. All of us have a sense of envy. All of us give in to deception. And we need God's help. So the general confession is a way of confessing that corporately. And yet there's something more often that needs to be expressed on our own part. Something real. Something about the uniqueness of how we're made. Because while the general confession covers over a lot of things, it's kind of like that that sheepskin, right? Or that animal skin. It's a gift, but we really have to be more honest with God. After receiving communion this morning, we'd like to invite you to take a moment to think about the place where you're at right now and to think about the sin deep down in your own heart that you really struggle with, the sin that's got a stronghold, the sin that you find yourself struggling with and you can't can't seem to let it go. And maybe you want to just confess that deeply when you have a moment to come to the prayer rail. But maybe you'd like to go to the prayer walls over there. Or maybe you'd like to write something on a sheet of paper and stick it in the wall. Or maybe in the back corner there's a, a box of sand. And you just want to confess it. You just want to write a word in that box of sand. And say, Lord... There's something I've been hiding from you, but I don't want to hide anymore. I want to live in the freedom that you bring to us, bring to me in Christ. And I want to confess it in this time and in this place. So as we use the general confession, let that be a starter for you and for me about being honest to God.